We continue working on a friendship with Dr. Craig Miller, who is our speaker this morning. I got to know Craig at Cedarville University over 40 years ago, and Craig was always uh, stood out among his peers as a leader and an influencer and just a winsome friend. I have benefited from his mind and heart. God gave him such a great mind. Uh, before the world knew about Ken Jennings, of course, uh, Craig Miller was on Jeopardy, just knocking him out. And um, uh, John MacArthur, when he writes the gospel according to Jesus, of course, has to footnote Craig's thesis at Talbot Seminary. Uh, and it's indicative of the mind that he's been given. But beyond that is his heart for the world. He spent 40 years in pastoral ministry in California. And then who could replace David Graham at Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville? Uh, but Craig Miller, who was there for uh, a long and good, faithful season. And he's now working with indigenous ministries, who works in the Middle East and in India, and works with national leaders to equip them to serve our Lord in their own context. It's wonderful to be a part of a church family that partners with people who extend our ministry. And we have been working on a little bit of a partnership with him. But last year, after we sold, surprisingly, they approached us uh, a section of the cherry factory that we owned in the back of our property. We decided that the more than the first 10% of those sale proceeds would be given away in five-year gifts. Uh, by that, I mean $15,000 for each of the next five years. Last year was the first gift. And we began to consider what we might be able to do. And we chose as our partner Indigenous Ministries and investing $15,000 in outfitting a Christian ministry center in northern Iraq. Actually, it was the great redemption story that we were involved in last year where God took a brothel and made it a Christian ministry center. And the $15,000 that we gave them enabled them to uh, outfit, essentially, the building in what they needed to uh, open this and... How, house this Christian ministry center. And so he's here this morning, and this is a bit of a celebration, an after-the-fact report on this gift and its usefulness, as well as a challenge to our congregation. Would you please help me to welcome our brother Craig Miller to be here this morning. He has a table in lobby one. You can meet him after the service and have a chance to interact with him. But Craig, welcome to Calvary Baptist Church, and we're grateful that you're here this morning. Thanks, man. Eric makes me sound like an amazing contestant on Jeopardy. I lost. But my one claim to fame was that I was the only one who got final Jeopardy right. But as a pastor, it's a little embarrassing to admit that the final subject was gambling. <laughs> it is such a joy to be with all of you. Um, I shared in the first service that this church has had a long history of ministry to me, um, ministering through previous pastors all the way back to Warren Wearsby before I even knew 
who Warren Wearsby was. I was reading his books and learning from him and finding out that many of the notes came from classes that were taught here. And then I got to know Pastor Call when I was at, at uh, Cedarville College at the time and visiting the church. And the succession of pastors from then on have all ministered to me in some way, not the least of which is my dear friend Eric. And when, when he calls me gifted, I, I count that as high praise because I have always appreciated Eric's uh, giftedness in serving the Lord. And... Um, he, he likes to make me sound great, and I appreciate that, but he was certainly the basketball player I never was ever going to be. But I got to kind of shine in his, his extended glory because I was hired to be sports information director while he was playing on the team. So I got to write about all that stuff, and everybody read my stuff as sports information director. And I got to travel with the team. And got to know Eric, got to know a lot of the other players who became great friends of mine. Um, I was their token non-athlete friend, and I was, I was really, really glad to be able to hang out with them. Uh, Eric and I have had the privilege of pastoring close together for a while when he was pastoring in Ohio. And I came to Ohio after 25 years in Southern California. And um, I'm so grateful for his friendship. Uh, any pastor who pastors long enough can tell you war stories that aren't the happy kind. And um, Eric has always been a particular encouragement to me uh, at hard times, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. As he said, uh, I was a pastor. I was a pastor for 40 years, and God in his um, providence decided to, to change that. In 2020, I stepped out of the pastorate at Grace Baptist, moved to Texas to care for my aging parents, my father had Alzheimer's. My mother had a form of Parkinson's, turned out to be Lewy body dementia. And uh, we were trying to just figure out what to do, and my brother asked for help. So we moved to Texas and um, found ourselves with them, found ourselves helping with them. And I got a call from a dear friend, John Cook, who had founded a small ministry called Indigenous Ministries. I had traveled with him. I actually was on the board of the ministry. And he said, I don't know what you're planning to do, but we could sure use you. And I was like, well, what, how? And, and I didn't know what God had for me. But in his providence, God began to work on my wife and my hearts. And, and we began to see that this might be what God had as, as kind of a, I guess, I guess you'd say a final act, a, a closing chapter in a sense, a full-time ministry. Um, didn't know how long it was going to be, but, but knew, knew that, uh, well, I was not under any illusions that I was middle-aged unless I'd lived to be as, long, as, as old as Moses. So, you know, given that fact, I, I knew that this would be probably the last thing I took on. And in January 2021, we started working with Indigenous Ministries. Let me tell you just who we are. First of all, you see that picture of my wife and I. Uh, we were in Egypt when that was taken. Uh, Kathy travels with me about half the time. Uh, she wasn't able to come on this trip, but she sends her greetings to you and her thankfulness for the part you've had in our ministry. And we'll tell you about that in a minute. We work in the garden spots of the world. Um, Iraq is where I spend a lot of my time. Uh, the big circle up toward the top is near, around Erbil, an area that we serve that is the capital of the Kurdish region in Iraq. You see two other circles there where we have ministries going in the north. 
And then you see a circle around Baghdad where we helped start a church and are working there as well. We also work in Egypt in three different locations. We have child sponsorship programs in Cairo, Alexandria, and Minia. Minia is the furthest the south, but they call that Upper Egypt because the Nile flows north. So upriver is Minia, and in Minia, half of the kids in our child sponsorship program are the children of Christian widows whose husbands have died because of sickness, but often also because of persecution during the time that the Muslim Brotherhood was ruling in Egypt. And widows are at great risk there, especially Christian widows. During that time, some of them were kidnapped, some of them were forcibly married off to Muslim men, um, and so our program was designed to help them be able to survive and thrive, and we're grateful for that. We also work in India. We have a Bible college in India that was started back in 2005. Um, Grace Bible College is now accredited by the Asia Theological Association, offers uh, bachelor's and master's degrees, and is the mother institution of something we're doing in Iraq that, that you've had a part in, and I'll tell you about that. We work in child sponsorship. You've heard of child sponsorship programs before. Ours is a little different in that we work among refugee populations and displaced peoples. And the person who heads every one of our local ministries is a Christian worker helping us establish a local church through that work. And so we use this as a strategy to reach into families who are in incredible need and present them not just with help for their children, but present them with hope the gospel and we've seen numerous families come to Christ you can see there we're distributing some of those shoe boxes you always heard about with Samaritan's Purse we actually get hundreds of those and we take them to our different programs and I know different people have different feelings about those things but I've been there and watched these children open them up and take that gospel booklet out of it and read it and have questions and I know people even there, who've trusted Christ through that ministry, through being able to give those gifts uh, for Christmas. And we just want you to know it's an exciting thing to do. We do pastor's conferences. This is one in Egypt. We do a couple of them in Egypt. We also do them in India. We gather pastors from various denominations, and our emphasis is modeling and teaching expository preaching, how to open the text, how to study the text, and then how to how to share that text. It is something that, it's kind of amazing when you do an expository message and say this is our goal and they say to you, we've never heard preaching like that before. We love that. Can we do that? Yes. Yes, you can. And we're happy to, to show you how to do that. We're also involved in church planting. This is a picture of a church in Erbil made up of all refugees, including the pastor. All our refugees all are, are transient. If they're Syrian refugees, they're trying to get to Australia. They're trying to get to Canada. They're trying to get someplace. But it can take 8 to 10 years to do that. And we have a great opportunity to minister to these families. In addition, uh, our church planting is seeing conversions. This is in our, our church in India by our Bible college. We're seeing amazing things happen as God brings people to himself. We have also the training of leaders. This is the graduation at Grace Bible College last February and we are just beginning as I said master's programs, master of divinity. Grace Bible College instructs in English which is one of the national languages of, of India which means people can come from all regions of India to this school. We have one of the largest theological libraries in the country and um, we're excited to see master's programs begin. 
We also have begun Middle East Theological College. This is a, a training program that is an extension of Grace Bible College in Iraq. To our knowledge, it is the only Bible college in Iraq. And we've just completed our first year. I had to teach five of the eight modules, and, uh, and I'm desperate to find others to teach. But what really thrills me is this was the first, and we've had two more Arabic theologians come and teach. And what a joy to watch these men teaching in the language of our students. It's been amazing to see. Just recently, we've launched METC. We started a year ago, September. So basically, we've completed our first cycle of classes at METC. We also have begun master's level programs at Grace Bible College this year. It's a residential program there. We have received invitation to minister to a currently closed area in the far northeast of Iraq. I won't identify the city, but uh, it's an exciting thing. And then um, we have expanded our child sponsorship uh, program to refugees from Sudan and South Sudan in Cairo, refugees from Libya in Alexandria, and then we've also seen the Yazidi people touched through our work in Iraq. Calvary Baptist has had a part in so much of this, and I'm here to tell you about it, because we're going to celebrate what God has done through your gifts, and then we're going to celebrate what God is doing in the world. First, you helped us back in 2021. I was doing a, we were doing a pastor's conference with the theme of the Trinity. And your pastor reads my newsletter and he gets in touch with me. And he says, I got a great friend in that region. You've met him, Dr. Imad Shahadeh, who is the dean or the president of Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary. And he wrote, as part of his doctoral dissertation and then a magnum opus written after that, a huge book on the Trinity in Arabic. An amazing book. I got the English version, read it, and we wanted to give it to these pastors. Well, in order to do that, first we had to have pastors come to the conference. And they can't pay for it. We pay for the pastors to be able to travel to our conferences. Calvary Baptist gave scholarships. But more than that, you gave a gift that purchased 80 copies of this book in Arabic. So every pastor who attended our conference was given this book. We preached for a week on the Trinity. We gave them our notes. We gave them the, the sermons. And then we gave them this book. And we had pastors come to us and say, this is incredible. My people are always asking me. You may not know this, but in, in Islamic cultures, Christians are attacked for being polytheists for believing in three gods. And he says, you've not only given me that which I can use to answer Muslim critics, I can equip my people who are always asking me to teach on this. So you made that happen. And I realize that giving a gift of a few thousand dollars to make something like that happen may not seem like a whole lot you know, in the grand scheme of things, but you have changed the ministry of a whole group of pastors who now have been equipped because of help that you've given. But wait, there's more. That I've always wanted to say something like that. In spring of 20, uh, 22, 23, or fall of 22 into 23, you gave the first of those $15,000 gifts, and you decided to give it to us. 
We had found and leased this building, which has, as Pastor shared with you, a rather checkered history. The owner was appalled when he found out what his tenants were doing and kicked them out, but he desperately wanted to rent it. This place is only two blocks from our office. And it gave us a ministry center that we were not expecting we would be able to have. You gave us $15,000 that made this happen. And it was amazing to see what happened. This building, as, as uh, we began to take it and work with it, we turned it around. We put air conditioning units in. We put in desks and chairs and all of those kinds of things. And it hosts every ministry that we have in Erbil. It is in use every week, multiple times a week. I'll, let me just show you a little bit of that. In fact, our next plan is to start job training and career training for the kids who are graduating out of our child sponsorship program. So all of this is going on right now. Here are just some pictures of it. I want you to see this, but I want you to realize you made this happen. We didn't have a budget for this. We're a tiny agency. When we decided to do something, we start, okay, what do we got? Zero. All right. Let's, let's, get, let's get started. And you made this happen. You turned the front rooms into a hall where our kids can gather and, and receive Bible lessons and where we can distribute food to families. You've turned that room upstairs into a classroom. And, and we have other classrooms that we do children's activities in. You see classes going on there. You see some of my students. I look at them and my hearts are just so excited. We have teachers who have come and donated their time. We only had to pay for their flight and feed them while they were there. But they came in and these last two teachers, these Arabic-speaking teachers, one is a PhD in Quranic manuscripts who does postgraduate teaching at Harvard. And there he is in this room teaching discipleship in the local church because he's a church planter and his passion is seeing the gospel go out in this region. Another one of the teachers is from Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary. Dr. Imad loaned him to us and sent him to us. And we are just seeing amazing things happen. And the students you see whose faces are covered, they're covered because they're Muslim background and because they are in danger just being in our classes. Now, all of this, teaching these young people, distributing food, having a youth group. They've never heard of youth groups before. Come and, and be taught. All of this has happened since this spring because of the gift you gave us that enabled us to buy the things we needed to buy to make this center a reality. It is incredible what has happened. And you need to know this. Because it's so easy to give money to missions and to say, praise God, we've been able to help. But sometimes you don't understand just how much of a difference that help makes. When a missionary tells you about a project or the pastor and the mission team come and tell you they want to get behind something, sounds like a good idea. Okay, let's do it. But you make a huge difference. And I want to springboard off that difference to talk to you about what it means right now in terms of being involved in the Great Commission. You know, we're a people of promises. We trust the promises of God. But sometimes it's hard to see them fulfilled. When you're a Christian in America and you look at the state of the church generally in America, it can be discouraging, can't it? 
I mean, we look at things and go, this is not good. I want to tell you something. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I'm here to tell you that is happening. And I want to share with you, not just from our field, but from fields around the world, what is happening so that you can see what is going on. We've read this passage, but you see I've just highlighted very quickly that it says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? We all want to know that, don't we? We all want to know when Jesus is coming. Want to know, and and they had, Jesus had been, according to the earlier verses, teaching on the kingdom. He'd been talking about the kingdom. He'd done it throughout his entire ministry. He told the disciples, you're going to sit on thrones in the kingdom. So they had a vested interest in knowing when, when is this going to happen. Is it now? Is it now? He tells them what they're not going to know. You can't know that right now. Now, he doesn't criticize them for asking. It's a normal thing to ask. And theologically, I think it's really important that he didn't say, oh, how could you misunderstand? The kingdom is only spiritual. How could you misunderstand that you're in the kingdom now? Well, there's a sense in which we are, but they were right to be looking ahead. He said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set, but... He said, in the meantime, there's something you can do. And that's what I'm here to talk with you about today. What we can do. We are continuing the ministry of Jesus. Luke said it. Beginning of Acts. He said, in my first book, Gospel of Luke, I was telling you what Jesus began to do until he went back to heaven. That's just the beginning. Jesus is still working. Jesus still has a body on this earth, but it's not his physical body anymore. It's the body that is his church. And he's still doing things. He tells us what, what we can know. Well, we know what Jesus has already taught us. And we know that the apostles had it and the church had it. We know, secondly, that the focus was the kingdom and the power was going to be that of the Holy Spirit. We know, thirdly, that there's something we can't know. How long is this going to go on? But there is something we can do for as long as it's going on, and that is to be a witness. This is the task of the church to be witnesses and to be collectively a witness to the power of Jesus Christ. My pastor in the church I attend gave us this, this and I'm just throwing it in for free because it, it was so powerful in my life. He said, you know, the church needs to get its B's straight. He said, there are three B's when it comes to our work as the church being a witness. He says, we need to teach people how to belong, how to believe, and how to behave. But our problem is we often get those in the wrong order. Many people think of the church, and the first thing they think of about even being able to go to the church is, you got to behave. you got to clean up your act. I can't come to God. I can't come to the church because I'm not a church. My life's a mess. i got to get that cleaned up, and then I can come. And sometimes we kind of communicate that as we look at people's behaviors, and we say, oh, they're not ready for church yet. Frankly, they need the church then. First thing they need to do is feel like, I can, I can be with the people of God. My pastor chose the word belong. You could almost say be. You, you, you need the freedom not to be a member of the church. You need the freedom to feel like I can come 
and be with you just like I am and I can be curious and I can listen and you're going you're gonna to let me come and you're going to let me listen. And, and, and I love how at various points, even in this service, there was a desire to tell people you are welcome here. We need to help people feel welcomed to Jesus and then we explain to them what makes the difference in our lives the gospel and they believe and then what happens well when we believe and the spirit comes in us that changes the way we live that touches our behavior when we put it the other way around we're relying on our arguments or a force of of our will when we put it this way the spirit through the gospel will change people so we're this witness locally and then we multiply The Great Commission tells us so many different things. In Matthew, it tells us where to multiply disciples, where to make disciples. Each gospel tells us something about the Great Commission, but when we get to Acts, it's here's your job, witness. And you witness to the world. You do it first at home, Jerusalem. Second, nearby, the region around you, Judea and Samaria, was it for the apostles? Third, The hard-to-reach places, we call it the end of the earth, the ends of the earth. Now, sometimes we mean that geographically. Other times we mean it by being a place that is so different from us, so hard to reach, different culture, different language, all of those kinds of things. We have nothing in common. Those are end-of-the-earth kind of places. And that's what Jesus said in Acts 1-8. Be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts, the ends of the earth. So how's the church doing? More importantly, how are Jesus' promises being fulfilled? Is it, is it really happening? Oh, it is. And I want to share with you how it's happening. Things are going better than you think. First of all, just let me, I'm going to show you graphs and things. I'm a nerd, sorry. I, I love facts and figures, statistics, those kinds of things. There are people who's, who, who are constantly compiling information from mission agencies and denominations and and others and trying to track okay how many real christians are there in the world not just born into a church and and confirmed or whatever but believe the gospel affirm jesus as lord have repented of their sins and in this kind of study also taken baptism they have they have followed the lord in 1900 it was about 2% of the world's population. About 2%. By the way, many people say in the year 100, the first century of church, it was only 1%. So it took almost 1,900 years, 1,800 years to get to that 2%. See, just kind of going along. But look what happens around 1960. It starts to go up, 1970, 1980. By 2010, it was 12% of the world's population. Now you say 12%, that doesn't seem like a lot, but look at that growth curve. Look what's going on in the world. There's more to know than that. If you look at the world today, this pie-shaped graph divides it into, top section is called the Christian world, where, where Christianity is, is most prevalent. The next one, going around the circle, 
clockwise is the Muslim world and then the Hindu world or ethnic religions, that's tribals, and then the Hindu world and then the Buddhist world and then the non-religious world. And the center of each of those, the darkest area represents believing Christians. In the Christian world, Europe, North America, places where Christianity is dominant, that darker area, that, that shows you how many Christians are, how many nominal Christians are. They would call themselves Christians, but not necessarily. And then the outside band are those who say, I'm not a Christian, even in that region. Well, that's kind of our experience. We, we know lots of Christians, we know lots of people who say they're Christians, and we know some unbelievers. Drop down to the Muslim world. The next section down. See that small, small segment? Those are true believers who live in Muslim countries. The next segment out, much larger. Those are the people who were Christians, but not necessarily what we would consider converted uh, Bible-believing Christians. These are people who are part of the Catholic and Orthodox and Coptic traditions in these places that have a Christian heritage and nobody changes religion in those areas unless you move toward Islam, okay? Christians can become Muslims. Muslims are, it's illegal in most of those places to become Christians. So, so look at that number. A lot of people to be reached. Ethnic religions, tribal areas, you see that. You see, you see how in most of the other areas, except in the ethnic religions, the tribal areas, Christianity still has a long way to go. A long way to go. But you see... We've made a lot of progress, too. In AD 100, there was one Christian for about every 360 people who were alive, based on the best estimates we have from church history. By 1900, there was one Christian for every 21 people. By 2010, one Bible-believing Christian for every seven. Now, you may be saying, where are they? I'm, I'm glad you did, because I can answer that question. Okay, this shows the growth rate of evangelical Christianity. The blue shows you anywhere in the world where evangelical Christianity is growing faster than the population. So even if they're having babies, even if, you know, and, and lots of babies, Christianity is growing faster. Do you see how that includes almost all of the Muslim world? The next color would be the color North America. And I say the next color because I'm colorblind. And if I say it, you're going to say, well, it's not that color. I know. I, I just trying to guess. But the color of North America and a few dots in Africa and Turkey and Britain, that represents where evangelical Christianity is still growing. But it's not growing as fast as the population. Okay. And then that red that you see up in Scandinavia and Japan. That represents where evangelical Christianity is shrinking. Now you never want to see it shrink. But look at that picture. Look at how the church is growing. And look at where it's not, including where we are. And you can understand why we develop a view of Christianity. that says, oh, things aren't going all that well. Well, maybe not around us. I mean, here is 1970, 2010, 2020, three circles in a row. You can see the raw numbers of Christians since 1970 to 2020. In North America, Christianity has, has just less than doubled. 
in terms of numbers, but our percentage has plateaued. Okay? Europe, it's not looking good. But look at Africa. Look at Asia. Even South America. Look at the growth that is taking place. You know when it says one for every seven people? It's over here where we're gaining our numbers so radically. Where your missionaries are serving. A little bit more. Here's, here's a set of stats that I just thought was amazing. From 2000 to 2020, it is estimated that in Africa, there were 37,825 conversions per day. Per day. All right? Latin America? Well, not quite as much, but that's pretty impressive. Almost 17,000 a day. Asia, 13,400 a day. North America, okay, this gets a little worse, 1,999 a day. Now, I, I keep wondering who that 2,000th was that we missed, you know. I, I, that, that just kills me that that number is there. But 2,000 a day. You say, man, we're way behind. Yeah, we're behind, but in North America, 2,000 a day trusting Christ? You know where it's happening? Prisons. Rescue missions. It's happening where people are broken. The old saying is still true. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And when you go to the people who are hurting, there are people who are ready to listen. Oceania, Australia, New Zealand, the islands, much lower. Europe, all of Europe, eight a day. So, see, things are moving along, but there's a task that remains. There's the non-Christians within unreached groups. That means places where the gospel is not dominant. They're unreached. Less than 2% of the population, wherever those people are, is Christian. 40% of the non-Christians live there. Okay? But do you see, when it comes to all foreign missionaries, how many foreign missionaries are working to reach that percentage? Only one in ten. Nine in ten Christian workers are in places where Christianity is already dominant. So that's the task that remains. Why? Well, because all, <laughs> the, the, the low-hanging fruit is gone. The, the, the people that are easy to talk to, easy to reach, share a culture, share a language, those people are reached. Not all saved, but at least they, they have exposure. 40% of the people who are not believers live in places where there are less than 2% of the population who are Christian, which means it is unlikely they're ever going to meet a Christian unless someone goes to tell them. So there's still a lot to be done. But you have a part in this, and this is what I want to celebrate. You guys have given to, to these kinds of projects. You are helping, and you have the chance to continue. If you want to be a part, uh, let, let me put it this way. All of us want to be a part of something that is successful. All of us want to be a part of something that's, that's going well. Do you understand that the cause of Christ is succeeding 
beyond anybody's wildest expectations except God's. And he invites you to be a part of this. He says, be involved in Jerusalem efforts. And I just tried to think of what some of those could look like. And we've got all sorts of them. Pre-evangelism efforts where you're just showing compassion in the name of Christ, helping and being there as Calvary Baptist Church, as Christians, and people see that you're Christians. You're not even trying to preach to them. You're just there to love on them. And then, of course, evangelistic efforts could, could be involved, like personal witness or corporate efforts that you put together, outreaches that you do. You can be doing these things, and you are doing these things. And I just want to encourage you to keep going because it is yielding fruit. But more than this, you can be involved in Judea and Samaria efforts. And, and there's a lot of those. There are prison ministries. Um, I, I, I'm involved with something called Malachi Dads. Um, it's a, life, a program called Lifeline that Awana started and spun off. They are expanding like wildfire in America's prisons. They're baptizing people left and right in state and federal penitentiaries. It's incredible what they and other prison ministries are doing. Hospital chaplaincies. International student ministries, regional evangelistic efforts, deciding we're going to target some people. We're going to go after these things. We're going to have national ministries to English speakers in America. There are still a lot of us who aren't saved yet. We need to go after them. These are Judea and Samaria efforts. They are close. But what about, oh, there's another one, cross-cultural efforts here in the USA. The Lord keeps bringing people our way who need the gospel and they're from a different culture and we minister them here. But we can also be involved in end, what I call ends of the earth opportunities among evangelized nations like ours, those kinds of things that we talked about, or um, countries like the Philippines. The Philippines are a missionary sending country right now. Uh, Korea is sending more missionaries per capita than America is sending. I mean, there are just amazing things going on in the world where we can be involved where there are still large portions of people who are not believers. But there's also end-of-the-earth opportunities among the unevangelized nations. Those nations with less than 2% Christians and those places where uh, they are what, are what used to be called hidden peoples, unreached peoples. There are large numbers of these around the world still. And I get the chance, praise God, to be a part of those ministries. Unreached peoples, there are at least 4,000 that have been identified who have no gospel witness in their language, in their culture, still. Still. Now, what can you do? I will, we'll make it as simple as possible. We'll just stick with what Jesus said. First of all, you pray to the Lord of the harvest. Remember that wonderful thing that Jesus said to us all when he said it to his disciples? The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord would send forth laborers into his harvest. The very first thing we need to do before we do anything else is pray. Brothers and sisters, God is answering prayers. People have been praying for the world. Some of you have been praying for the world, and you haven't even known how effective your prayers have been. God wants his church to be everywhere among all nations. You have all those passages that talk about how before the throne will be people of every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And it is happening. 
And the way we can see it happen more and more is to say, okay, Lord, help us be strategic. And first of all, help us pray. Pray for workers. Pray that workers would be sent forth. I'm going to show you pictures of our students in, in the Middle East, in, in Iraq. And I want you to be praying for them because they are the future hope of their nation. This little handful who are trying to learn theology in a war-torn country. You can give. And I'm here to tell you, you have given. And I hope if you get nothing else out of this message, you'll understand that the work of God is moving forward. And as our church here in northern Kentucky is so separated from all those things, by our gifts, we are having a chance to make a difference for eternity. Think about it. $15,000 outfitted an entire facility for a college and a child sponsorship program and food distribution, and it's not just one time, it's happening again and again and again. I fly to Iraq four times a year to lead these modules, and every time I'm there, I can't help but see what you have helped make happen. Can I just ask you to keep doing what you're doing? Keep having that global vision that says God's kingdom and God's work is so much bigger than just what's going on here. And then... You can always go. God still needs workers to be thrust forward. And maybe you're here and you haven't thought about this for a while. Maybe you say, well, I'm too old. No, just exhibit A here. You are not. Maybe there's a place for me in God's global work. Maybe I need to be willing to say what Isaiah said when he heard God say, well, who's going to go? And I, Isaiah said, I'm here. If you need me, if you, if you want to use me, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then finally, shameless plug, pray for Middle East Theological College. Our student that's covered there was taking his classes while he got a call the last day from people who were living next to his apartment in the city he was living in, was living in and they told him, people from your father came looking for you and they tore your apartment apart when they found out you weren't there this is the second time in our classes he's gotten word that representatives of his family are out to kill him because he became a believer but he keeps coming back he keeps coming back on let's see this far side so that's left as you're looking at it is the young man who's heading our child sponsorship program in Baghdad. Next to him, the man, young man who heads our child sponsorship program in Karakosh, which is the Nineveh Plain. When you're there, your phone tells you the weather in Nineveh today, and you're like, oh, this is unreal. Next to him, our brother from the background. Next to him, a professor from Jets. Next to him, the young man who leads our, our efforts among the Yazidi refugees up near the Turkish border. The two women are both refugees who want training. The one next to the end is uh, actually an Iraqi displaced person who's come to our area and staying. Next to, her, next to her is Joel. She is a beautiful Syrian refugee who's never been able to complete more than eighth grade. But when she heard we were doing this teaching, 
She knew she couldn't get a degree. She said, can I just come? Can I just come and listen? And she's come to every single class. It's just amazing. Would you pray? Would you pray first of all and thank God that because of your help we have a facility where we've completed our first year of courses? Would you pray and praise God for four more students in our Bachelor of Theology program? We have four right now, but our goal is to have four more. We, I want all Arabic teaching. I had to teach five of the eight classes through an interpreter. Do you know how much time it takes to teach theology through an interpreter? But I got to watch these guys speaking Arabic, and the students just lit up. And it doesn't bother me in the least that they like them better than me. I would too. Would you pray that we can put together a cadre of mainly Arabic-speaking, theologically trained men who can come in and teach these students? Would you pray for the $1,500 a month that I have to raise for them? And Isn't that amazing? An entire Bible college program for $18,000 for the year. Would you pray? The Lord has that money. We know it. We start with zero, and we just trust. And then finally, we we're registering with the Ministry of Education. We've always done everything above board. We are there, and because of that, our founder, John, was able to meet with a government official, and in talking with him in the Ministry of Religion, to pray for that man. And to see that man's wife healed of a disease. And to have a friend who helps us. It's just amazing. I won't say more because it's a public venue, but God has done amazing, amazing things. And why do I share this? Because we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate the fact that gifts from Calvary Baptist have made a difference in a part of the world everybody writes off. Mention Iraq, mention you're traveling to Iraq, and people, their eyes get big, and it's like, why would you do that? This is why I do that. Your gift made a difference. Secondly, we want to celebrate what God is doing in the world. I just, I, I feel like I need to remind people this is exciting and God gives you and I the privilege and says, I want you to be a part of this. Not because I need you, but because I want you to be a part of this. And so we want to celebrate what God is doing and we want to celebrate the generosity of our God that he invites us to continue to be a part of it through prayer and giving and maybe even going. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you that we can be together and talk about your word and what it says about the Great Commission and then reflect about how you are fulfilling the promises you made to advance the gospel and the church. And Lord, to do it through the gifts we give, the efforts that we make, as feeble as they are, as small as they may be in the world's eyes, you take them and you make something amazing happen. God, thank you 
that we can be a part of these things because we are your children and you invite us into your work. Thank you for loving us so well. In Jesus' name, amen.